What's up, guys? My name is JD Mason, and I am the creative minister here at Oak Hills Church. And guess what? We are launching a podcast. That's right. You heard it here first, guys. We are launching this podcast called Moment by Moment with Travis Eads, who is our lead minister here at Oak Hills Church. And we're going to be discussing relevant topics that you're asking the church, questions that you might have for a pastor or for Christians that are relevant to what is happening right now in today's society. You can listen to us on Spotify, on Apple Music, even like wherever you listen to your podcast, that's exactly where we're going to be. And we want you to join us every single Monday. So be on the lookout on all of our social media channels for moment by moment. We are in the third week of a series we are calling Life's Big Questions. Because we all have some big questions. In fact, it was a few weeks ago when we invited all of you to respond to a survey through email and text. Many of you responded. The question was, what are some of your friends' biggest questions in life? I think it's safe to say that the topic, the question that we're going to address today was the one that you answered with the most. And here's the question. What is the meaning and purpose of life? We thought we'd start with something small, work our way up. The meaning and purpose of life. Now, when we're asking the question, what is the meaning of something, what are are we really asking? We're asking, well, why does something exist? Why is it? Another way to put it would be to say, what for? In other words, what is the what for of life. Max recently shared with me a story of one of his mentors, Stanley Ship. Stanley was invited to meet uh, a medical researcher who had invented a device that could separate uh, particles of blood into different containers. And so Stanley met with the physician and his big question was, what for? Well, this, this, this kind of took the doctor uh, back just a little bit, and, and he said, well, it's, it's so that we can examine the, the blood. Stanley asked him again, said, what for? He said, it's, it's so that we can look for diseases. Stanley persisted, what for? The physician was starting to get a little bit exasperated. He, he said, it's so that we can, we can uh, uh, make discoveries so that we can create cures. And Stanley asked again, what for? This time he said, the physician said, so, I don't know, so that we can keep people from dying. Once again, one final time, Stanley asked him, what for? Isn't that question we all ask, what for? And it doesn't really matter whether you're Christian, Muslim, Jewish, atheist, young, old, rich, poor. This is the common ground of humanity. We all have the the same question. We all find ourselves asking the question like, what for? We go to bed, we, we get up, but why? I mean, why do we do the things that we do? We go to school so that we can get good grades, so that we can get into a better school, so that we can 
get a degree so that we can uh, get a good job, so that we can have a family, so that we can make some good money, so that we can pay the bills and feed the kids and, I don't know, retire one day maybe. Okay. But what for? You see, this is the common ground of humanity. We all have this question. We all ask this. And this existential question in life, it's not new to us. It's one that has been asked for thousands of years. In fact, some people would say that to ask the question, what is the meaning of life? There is no meaning to life. There is no meaning. Some might say, well, it's subjective. You know, your truth, my truth, there, there is no absolute truth. It's subjective. And then some might say, well, it's, it's really absurd to even ask the question. That's, that's actually ha has a technical name. It's called absurdism. There are, guys, did you know this? There are a lot of isms out there. A lot of philosophies, a lot of people who have attempted to answer the question that we're asking today. What is the meaning and purpose of life? But the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2, he, he gives us this caution. He says, don't, don't get caught up in empty philosophies. Okay, here, here's another philosophy, and, and I bring this one up because I think it's one that we see pretty prevalent in our world today. When we ask the question, what is the meaning and the purpose of life? Here, here's one of the answers. It is to pursue pleasure and avoid pain at all cost. And we see this through several philosophers, uh, one of them being uh, Sigmund Freud. He was one of them that espoused this philosophy. Here's a quote from him. What good to us is a long life if it is difficult and barren of joys? And so full of misery that we can only welcome death as a deliverer. It's kind of depressing. But it's not all false. There's some truth there. Does anybody want to sign up for a life full of misery? Oh, good, good. None of us want to be miserable in our life. None of us are, are looking for a misery. And, and by the way, there's nothing admirable about being miserable. Just to make sure we're on the same page, there is nothing spiritual. Listen to me. There's nothing spiritual about being miserable. I've known some people who were pretty unhappy. I've met Christians who they were not happy and you know it because their face is surely not showing it. Right? I mean, you're like, are you happy? Yes. Can you tell your face? <laughs> Some people just go through life and, and it just seems like, but, but on the other end of that spectrum, from, from there is no pleasure, on the other extreme is pleasure is all there is. And so the meaning of life is to pursue pleasure and to avoid pain at all costs. Freud and other philosophers, they were... They were teaching YOLO before YOLO was a thing, right? You only live once, so therefore, you better get what you can get while you can because this is all there is. This is as good as it gets. You only live once. So he would say, Freud would say, you need to pursue pleasure, specifically sexual pleasure. 
Now, let me ask you this. Do you see any evidence of that philosophy being lived out in our world today, in our culture today? Yeah. We see, we see evidence of this. And to pursue pleasure and to avoid pain. Sound, sounds great. But there are a couple problems with this philosophy. Number one, what if pain is unavoidable? I mean, I want you to think about the, the, the refugees who are fleeing the Ukraine. I want you to think about the people around the world. I'm talking about true victims of circumstances that are outside of their control. W would we look at that and, and say that their lives hold no meaning? Well, of course not. We're, we're inspired by them. Of course their lives have meaning. What we need is an answer to the meaning of life that stands up to the pain of life. Here's, here's another problem with, with pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain at all costs. Sounds great, but what if I pursue pleasure? What if I, what if I actually achieve all the things in life? Life, love, happiness, wealth, influence, power. What, what if I get all those things and yet I, I, I drink them all in yet come up thirsty? Have you ever experienced something like that in your life? Like, if, if I could just, I'll be, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when, and you finally get there and you go, hmm, not happy. See, there's a problem with that. C.S. Lewis said it like this. The greatest despair is when one has his sights set on reaching an ultimate goal to find meaning, only to get it and to discover it does not satisfy. My dad used to say, Son, be careful that you don't climb the ladder all the way to the top only to realize that it was leaned against the wrong building. See, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying in Colossians 2 when he says, you need to be careful. You, you need to be cautious. Be aware of empty philosophies. Jesus was the master at the power of questions. He could ask questions. He could say more with a question than most people could say with an answer. On one occasion in Matthew 16, he asks this question. Look at this. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Talk about putting life into perspective. I remember when I began to read the Bible for myself and I began to explore the claims of Jesus for myself, I came across this verse. And I am telling you, it, it shook me to my core. Because what is Jesus saying here? He's saying there, there is a way that you can win at everything in life and still lose. You can, you can have all the stuff, and yet, if it costs you your soul, then what did you really gain? What did you really profit? It's a really sobering question. It was a sobering question for me because I, I like to win. <laughs> I like to achieve. I like to build. I like to accomplish. But this verse really got my attention. 
What about you? Have you considered this question of Jesus? What if you gain the whole world yet lose your soul? What could you give in exchange for your soul? If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. So what we want to do is we want to go back and we want to look at the context around this verse. What's actually going on here? Matthew is a close disciple of Jesus. He is an eyewitness to Jesus. He's writing somewhere around 60 AD to around mid-60s AD. Close enough to the actual events that this document, in terms of ancient history, uh, very reliable, very trustworthy document. And so Matthew writes, he, he begins in chapter 16 in verse 13. And in this, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And by the way, in a place called Caesarea Philippi, it's a real place. I was there just a couple weeks ago. It's a beautiful place, beautiful, um, just flowing water because there are springs there. Anyway, so they're in Caesarea Philippi and they're having this conversation. And Jesus, who is the master of the power of questions, asks them this question. Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Well, they, they start to answer and they start to say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah, maybe Jeremiah, maybe one of the other prophets. Basically what they're saying is people are saying that you're a good teacher. They're, they're saying that you're a, a prophet, but one of many right? Like all the names that they list, these are forerunners to the Messiah. So what are they saying? They're saying, well, you're a forerunner to the Messiah, but you're not the Messiah. But then Jesus turns the question on his disciples. He goes, okay, but who do you say that I am? <laughs> Peter. Peter speaks up. One who's never short for words. Oh, is that water? Thank you so much. Never short on words. And Peter is the one who answers the question. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He nails it. And I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't challenge him. Jesus doesn't say, I'm just one of you guys. Look, Peter, come on. <laughs> this is too much. Oh, stop, stop. I'm just one of the guys here. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't challenge Peter. And none of the disciples do either. What does he say? Peter says, blessed are you. Or Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Peter. You didn't figure this out on your own. You didn't come up with this on your own. This was revealed to you by your Father in heaven. Okay, so that's the context, that's the conversation that is taking place in Matthew 16. But I want you to notice, what is Jesus claiming in this conversation? He's claiming deity. He's claiming to be the Christ, the son of the living God. He doesn't challenge that. And I, I want you to notice, because I, I realize that for some, the deity of Christ may, it may be a stretch for you to believe. But I want you to recognize <clears throat> it was not a stretch for those disciples. In fact, it was what would come next that was a problem 
especially for Peter. In verse 21 of chapter 16, Jesus begins to lay out how it's all going to go down. They're going to go to Jerusalem. They are, he is going to suffer. He is going to be wrongfully accused. He is going to be killed. He is going to rise on the third day. And this is the point that Peter, he, he just can't take anymore. Oh, okay, Jesus, that, that, that's enough. You know, you're, I, did you miss what I just said? I just said you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And so could you, basically saying, could you act like it? Could you talk like it? Like Messiah's, they rule. Messiah's reign, they, they don't die. And Jesus is talking about his death. And I want you to notice, I want you to notice how Jesus responds to Peter. Look at this. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, he's not actually calling him Satan. He's saying that you're, you're speaking the words of Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? As he speaks to his disciples, he's showing them the way. He's showing them the, the, the meaning to life. What is he doing? He's giving them a meaning to life that can actually stand up to the pain of life. Think about this. Peter, is, it is easier for him to believe that Jesus is the son of God than it is for him to believe that the son of God is going to experience pain and suffering. And do we not struggle with the same thing today? Do we not have big questions in life? Why do bad things happen to good people? We, we still struggle with this today, but I want you to notice what Jesus does. He points them beyond the temporary to the eternal. Possessions, temporary. Power, temporary. Prestige, prominence. Pleasure, temporary. Pain, temporary. But the soul, the soul is eternal. People are eternal. We will exist in heaven or hell eternally. What could be more meaningful than that? He points them beyond the temporary to the eternal. Now, here's the Thing. Jesus leaves no doubt as to the meaning and the purpose of his life. Here's another one of those verses I would encourage you to underline, to highlight. It's John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. 
The first thing Jesus does here is he kind of outlines Satan's strategy. He says, there is a thief. He's a thief. And if the thief had a personal mission statement, it would be to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he want to steal? Well, he wants to steal the truth about God and about his work in the world. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to kill your relationship with God so that ultimately he can destroy God's work in you and through you. That's his objective. But if the thief has come to take life, Jesus has come to unleash it through you. And just so we wouldn't miss it, he says this is how we can receive that life, that full life, that abundant life. Matthew 10. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. I recently heard a story about a a pilot who was a a test pilot and he was uh, piloting a a new jet and this jet went into a tailspin. So it's spinning around and as it is, it's, it's losing altitude and his instincts kick in and he grabs the yoke as he's telling this story. He grabs it as tight as he can and he's pulling. I mean, the, the jet is plunging down. He's pulling up on this, on this yoke as hard as he can, but the harder he pulls on it, the more the, the jet descends, plummeting to the ground. And as he tells this story, he says, something just occurred to me to let go of the yoke. And so he did. And as he let go, what began to happen is that the plane actually began to self-correct. Have you ever been there where life kind of feels like it's in a tailspin? Where life kind of feels like it's, it's just kind of spinning out of control? Markets dip. Grades fall. Relationships that are very important to you just seem to fall apart. And our, our instinct is, is to, to grab a hold, so to speak, and, and just to push and pull our way through life because we want to fix it. And we try everything in the world we can think of, everything except letting go. Now, even believers in Jesus have a version of this, and it goes a little something like this. Jesus, I trust you, but I'm gonna keep my hands on the yoke just in case. Just in case you don't come through. Now, we would never say that. We would never admit that, even to ourselves, but sometimes that's the way we as followers of Jesus, tend to live. And so we hold on. And we try to push and and pull our way through life. But it doesn't hold up. It doesn't stand up to to the pain of life. Jesus offers an invitation 
let go and let me take control. It'd be years later. The Apostle Paul would, would put this in such beautiful terms. In Galatians 2. And I would encourage you, this is another highlight it, underline it, memorize it. Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul, who just a little context on him. When Paul was Saul, he was all about his religion. He was all about his righteousness, his authority. And then somewhere along the way, this man has this change in his life where he's using language like, I have been crucified. I want you to just think about that for a second, just how humbling and how even humiliating. It, this is strong language. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. He doesn't want us to miss the point. The point of what? The what for. Here it is. I want to know Christ. If you were to ask Paul, Paul, what is the what for? Paul, what is the, the meaning and the purpose of life? Here it is. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation, get this, in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And there it is. Finally, an answer to the meaning of life that can stand up to the pain of life. Becoming like Christ in his death. I don't know, maybe some of you, you you've never trusted Christ. You've never let go and, and place your trust in his resurrection. But when we place our trust in, in the fact that he was resurrected, it gives us hope that one day we too will rise. Maybe you've never trusted him. But when Christ died on the cross, he took care of your sin. And when he rose from the grave, he took care of your death. The question is, will you trust him with your life? And if you've never trusted him, you can. And maybe you have trusted him with your life. Maybe you've never taken that next step of obedience in baptism. Being immersed in baptism is such a beautiful picture, beautiful symbol, beautiful demonstration of what Christ has done. A couple weeks ago, we had a baptism service. We've had baptisms every weekend. And every time I see a baptism, when I think back on my own baptism, I think of what a, what a beautiful story we're telling. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So going down in that water is, like Paul would say, becoming like Christ in his death to rise up.
to new life, to the power of his resurrection in your life. This is why we call it, well, Peter called it a living hope. Maybe you've trusted in him. Maybe you've taken that step. But maybe your hands are on that yoke pretty tight. I want to encourage you with the invitation of Jesus to let go and to let Jesus take full control over your life. Life tends to turn out a little bit like that jet. When we let go, it just tends to self-correct. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they would have it to the full. You can trust him. He won't let you down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you that in him we can find meaning and purpose in life that stands up to the pain of life. To know him. To know the power of his resurrection in our life. Not just someday, but now. And so, Father, we we pray that you would restore in us, renew in us the things that the thief has come and stolen from us. That you would redeem us. Father, for that person who has never trusted in you but wants to trust in you right now, Father, just invite them to, to pray with me. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you with my life. I trust you to save me from my sin. I believe that you took my punishment and you took my sin so that I could be in right standing with God. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that. Father, we thank you for this time to open your word. And we thank you for the power that it has in our lives and the meaning that it has in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all those who agreed said, amen, amen.